This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM in San Francisco. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Khanam. And I'm Jamal Dejani. Jamal, we have a really great show today. There, There's absolutely so much news to cover today. I'm not even sure where to begin. I mean, from exposés about how Facebook meta has been silencing Palestinian uh, voices on Facebook, which we, we won't have time today to get into, to everything else that's happening in the world. But the two main stories we're going to cover today. Now, you and I have a long history of talking about Israeli prime minister speeches at the United Nations from Benjamin Netanyahu's classic cartoonish bomb presentation to years and years of dissembling, lying, and misrepresentation. Well, this year, Yair Lapid's deceitful speech at the United Nations is no change from that history. He packaged it differently. He talked about the two-state solution, but he had the audacity to just lie and offer deceitful, you know, half-truths. Not even half-truths, no truths. But he's been, you know, celebrated across many political spectra because he re-advocated for the two-state solution, which has, as you and I know, been dead for many years. But we're going to talk about his speech. We're going to talk about the protests in Iran after the kind of really tragic death of Masha Amini, uh, the young Iranian woman who was arrested by the morality police in Iran for wearing her jab in a particular way. Uh, there have been protests throughout Iran. We're going to talk a little bit about that. But before we get to those, we're going to hear and watch a really great interview that you did with Asil Abubaja. She's the legal researcher and advocacy officer at Haq, Al-Haq Human Resource Organization. She's going to talk about the recent Israeli raids of uh, six Palestinian human rights organizations and the recent probe of the Forensic Architecture UK, which uncovered evidence that the Israeli apartheid military, in fact, did shoot and kill and murder Shireen Abu Akla. So there's a lot to talk about. It's a great interview. Yeah, and mostly, actually, I mean, the whole world knew that uh, Israel killed Shireen Abu Akla, except for the denials of uh, Israel and its surrogates. But this this uh, probe uh, reinforces the investigations, other inv- investigations, but it also reinforces that not only Shireen Abu Akli was murdered by Israeli snipers, but she was targeted. Right. And she was shot at several times with intention to, to harm her or, or kill her. Uh, so let's watch uh, the interview with uh, Asil and uh, from uh, Al-Haq Human Rights Organization. On Thursday, August 18, Israeli occupation forces raided, ransacked, then sealed the offices of six Palestinian human rights groups. Israel designated the groups as terrorist entities. Israel's Defense Minister Benny Gantz originally floated this claim last October, However, a subsequent classified CIA report states that there is no evidence to support it. On July 12, a joint letter by nine EU member countries rejected Israel's claim as well as, as well citing lack of evidence. The U.S. has yet to make a statement refuting Israel's claims 
And earlier this month, Israel sent a delegation to meet with the U.S. State Department and the CIA to elaborate on their rationale. The apparent goal is to delegitimize Palestinian rights groups and dry up their funding. Joining us on Arab Talk this week is Asil Badje. Ms. Badje is a legal researcher and advocacy officer at Al-Haq Organization. One of the six groups targeted by Israel, Al-Haq is an independent Palestinian non-governmental human rights organization based in Ramallah, West Bank. It documents violations of the individual and collective rights of Palestinians in the occupied Palestinian territories, irrespective of the identity of the perpetrator, and seeks to end such breaches by way of advocacy before national and international mechanisms and by holding the violators accountable. Asil, welcome to Arab Talk. Thank you for hosting us. Firstly, Asil, I want to thank and your colleagues at Al-Haq for the invaluable work you do defending human rights in Palestine. In your words, just briefly tell us uh, why and when Al-Haq was founded and its importance within Palestinian civil society. Of course. Um, so first of all, actually, Al-Haq is the first human rights organization to be established in Palestine, but also in the Arab world. We were established around 43 years ago. Um, and the mission of Al-Haq is to basically, as you provided in the brief, in the intro, is to realize the collective right of the Palestinian people to self-determination through various means. So we focus on documentation, and that is documenting ongoing and daily violations on the ground, specifically in the occupied Palestinian territory, uh, ranging from killings to demolitions to settler violence to land appropriation and all other um, uh, violations from the Israeli occupying forces. Uh, with this documentation from the ground, we try to seek accountability, justice, and reparation for the Palestinian people. And so we focus our advocacy on accountability through various means, including at the International Criminal Court. So we, uh, with the documentation and legal analysis we do, we support and provide evidence and documentation to the International Criminal Court as one mechanism for justice for the Palestinian people. In our advocacy, we also work with uh, United Nations mechanisms, so with the Human Rights Council, with special procedures, uh, with the United Nations, uh, the UN General Assembly, so on and so forth, in order also to push for actions uh, from these agencies and from member states of the United Nations to pressure Israel to end its apartheid and colonial regime against the Palestinian people. Uh, we also focus on issues related not only to Israel's responsibility against Palestinian people, but uh, also corporations' complicity in maintaining the legal situation. Um, so we also have a thematic focus on business and human rights um, in order to end the complicity of companies um, in, in the illegal situation in Palestine. Um, on the other hand, on more broadly, we also try to push for centering the Palestinian narrative in international domains. That is of that the situation in Palestine is one of settler colonialism and apartheid for 70 years and above against the Palestinian people as a whole. So we're not only talking about uh, violations, uh, random violations happening against a fragmented section of the Palestinian people and the occupied Palestinian territory, but systematic regime of 
erasure, violence and domination and institutionalized discrimination that has been operating for above a century now. So you do a lot of work, really, and you work, as as you've mentioned, uh, you know, your reports goes, go to the United Nations, but you also uh, collaborate with the, the EU and the United States. Am I correct? Um, I wouldn't use the word collaborate, because what we do with the EU, United States, and other states in general in the world is to basically uh, doing advocacy work. Um, and in terms of uh, our advocacy, because we work under the umbrella of international law, um, so we try to push these states, whether at the EU level or United States level, is to basically abide by their international obligations. So when we're talking about Israel's apartheid regime, uh, because of the gravity and the seriousness of the, the 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 violations and crimes it commits, this entails obligations not only on Israel to end such regimes, but also on the international community. Um, so with our advocacy, we try to push for these legal obligations on third states. Um, and this obligation is specifically in international law to basically not recognize the illegal situation, not to assist in maintaining the illegal situation, and thirdly, and most importantly, to cooperate to bring to an end the illegal situation. And cooperation here comes in in concrete and positive actions, if this makes sense, in terms of uh, implementing sanctions against Israel, in terms of uh, stopping the trade with the, with the, with Israel, with the illegal settlement enterprise, or stopping trade with the military. Uh, branch of, of Israel, so trapping, uh, stopping the, the trade in weapons and security corporations with Israel. So these are the areas that we try to push in our advocacy with EU uh, and US member states. And with, with the US, of course, it's it's more challenging given the, 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 the illegal policy that actually the US is, has been implementing, not uh, since a couple of years, but since forever, in terms of basically sustaining Israel's uh, regimes and violations uh, against the Palestinian people. So there's more work to be done in the U.S. and also at the EU level, but um, this is part of our demand is to basically push for these um, obligations. So you came, of course, under a major attack. Obviously, Israel is not is not happy with what you've you've been doing, and uh, I would say I should say he came under a a wave of accusations by Israel. Uh, let's talk about this uh, and uh, how how has it imba- impacted your ap- ability to function, and what triggered it? I mean, what's what's the motives behind it? Yeah. So basically, I would speak about al-haq but it's important to understand that this attack has been against palestinian civil society as a whole since decades not since um a few years or so uh and it escalated specifically with the move that you mentioned in your in, in your introduction in october last year when israel's minister of defense basically designated six leading palestinian human rights organization as terrorist um terrorist organization under Israel's domestic um, anti-terror law. And this designation was followed by military orders also from the military commander designating the same organization as unlawful associations. So what this means in, in, in practice is that, first of all, our work is outlawed as per Israeli standards. So we're not uh, allowed to function uh, or to operate. 
means also that the staff of the six organizations under threat of being arrested. And actually, the threat of arrest could lead to 25 of imprisonment for senior positions of these, uh, the, the members of uh, these organizations. Um, it also means that our assets and our uh, funds is under threat of uh, being freezed or confiscated. It also means that we are under threat of being raided and closed, which happens, uh, which happened actually one year after the the, the designation last August. Um, so the, this, these are the implications of the designation. But as you said, it's more broader than this two events or three events that happened last year, because there has been an ongoing campaign by Israel to basically target and silence and actually erase the Palestinian civil society because of the core work that we do, which is, as I mentioned in the introduction from Al-Haq's mission, is to actually document human rights violation, uh, ensure that there's accountability for ongoing crimes that are being committed uh, ensure that the Palestinian discourse is centered, so on and so forth. But other organizations from the six that are targeted, such as, uh, for example, Adomir, it comes, it has been for decades working on um, advocating for the rights of Palestinian political prisoners. Um, other organizations, such as Defense for Children International Palestine, DCI, works on uh, the rights of Palestinian children. Other organizations are focused on issues around women or um workers and issues around research and social justice. So in 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 more broadly, uh, what Israel wants is basically to shut down the the work of these six organizations, but the missions that they 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 work about, which is basically to counter Israel's accountability, uh, sorry, counter Israel's uh, impunity through accountability, uh, uh, to realize the right of the Palestinian people to self-determination. Uh, and all these uh, missions that we uh, we adhere to through uh, international law. Uh, and the designation happened in October, but before that, what Israel was doing basically, specifically around the time that there was work around, uh, started around the International Criminal Court file, uh, there was more uh, actually smearing campaigns and attacks against the, the organization, including actually death threats. Um, against members of um, uh, of the six organizations and and other human rights organizations in Palestine, um, other organize other staff members were denied travel, for example, throughout the years. Um, others were arbitrarily arrested. As we're speaking now, um, thirty Palestinians who are ad under administrative detention are uh, launched yesterday. Actually, a hunger strike against this policy of administrative detention, which is basically detaining Palestinians without charge and without trial based on secret evidence. One of our colleagues from the six organizations, from Al-Damir, he's a lawyer, Salah Hamouri was detained last year under this administrative right. detention policy, and he's one of the people who um, uh, are collectively doing the hunger strike. Uh, so these are some of the implications and the attacks that have been um, targeted civil society um, before, during, and after the, the designation. Obviously, Israel's uh, main goal is to cripple the organizations uh, financially, politically, uh, restrict your movement. Uh, the last raid in, in August, they've uh, confiscated uh, and, and dis destroyed your equipment, as I understood, I, I, I understand it. 
how have you been functioning now with with the closure of the offices and and what the Israelis have done? I mean, how how do you continue doing your work? Uh, just a correction for the uh, what happened during the raids. The, Israel did not confiscate equipment from Al Haq specifically, but from other of the six organizations. But the raid in itself, of course, is uh, illegal uh, um, because of the political nature of this attack and the military orders and the designation. Um, and so how are we basically operating since the, since the raid is that we're, we're, we're in our offices. Uh, we're working as usual, but it's important to, to not underestimate the, the repercussions of the raid or even the designation from last year is that we have been since last October under threat of being arrested. Uh, and the main two threats is basically, uh, or three, I would say, um, threats of imprisonment. And actually after the raid, three of the, um, heads of the six organization received threats, call threats from Israeli intelligence services. Uh, threatening them uh, with imprisonments if they continue the work of, of the, their organizations. So this remains uh, a threat for the staff of the six organizations. Another threat is um, or challenge is on funding. And this is important to mention that the way we see the designation last year as the sixth organization and then Palestinian civil society is that Israel has tried to, to shut down Palestinian civil society for decades and has failed. And so the designation move and the use of specifically the anti-terror law is to basically, because there's a provision in the law that says also supporters of the sixth and funders of the sixth are uh, liable for uh, such accusation being terrorists. Uh, so what Israel wanted basically is to intimidate the donors and the partners and the international community that is supporting Palestinian civil society. Uh, so there's these challenges. Unfortunately, the, we have continued receiving support and funds from our partners, including from states at the EU level. Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna just mention uh, because that's important because that's one of their main goals is really to defund you. That the end of June 2022, that the European Commission lifted its 13-month suspension of EU funding for both Al Haq and Palestinian Center for Human Rights due to unfounded claims, those terror accusations made against them. And also we know right here in the United States that an investigation ha uh, has been conducted by the CIA and it did not support I Israel's claims. Uh, did you, I mean, ha have you experienced any issues with funding from other countries or other donors? I'm, I'm actually glad that you mentioned the EU suspension for Al-Haq because it is really um, unfortunate that it would take 13 months of investigation uh, to basically um, uh, review Israeli uh, so-called secret evidence um, and come up with this conclusion. We're glad that this happened, that there's like they lifted the suspension from Al-Haq. But I actually think, or we think as Al-Haq and the Sixth, that at this point, it's enough to use from states the language of we need evidence uh, because they have said, uh, as you said, also, as you mentioned, there's like an EU, nine, nine states from the EU have said that they, they found no substantive allegations proving Israel's uh, allegations 
And so as the, the U.S. administration has um, also provided publicly. So at this stage, it's really beyond time to ask for evidence from Israel. Um, it is time to actually take concrete steps to back up uh, their states, uh, their statements of condemnation in terms of uh, how they have been saying we will continue to support civil society organization. And uh, we have been receiving a lot of support in terms of receiving delegations and receiving um, statements uh, from states, from experts, you know, and experts from different levels. But at this stage, after uh, one year of uh, since the designation and given the imminent threat of being arrested and our funds being confiscated, it is really time to take actions to back up how they want to basically support Palestinian civil society. And I talked about some of the steps that could be done in terms of their actually legal obligations. It's not beyond uh, the legal scope of what they should do as in um, as per like their third state obligations. So we're asking for uh, pressure on Israel to resent the designation. We're asking for sanctions, diplomatic sanctions on Israel. We're, we're asking for some concrete steps that could be given depending on the state. So, uh, stopping trade with the illegal settlement enterprise, stopping, uh, trade with the military and security, uh, uh Israel's uh, military system and security system. So these are some concrete steps that could challenge Israel's attack, uh, on Palestinian civil society, but more generally, it's broader uh, apartheid and settler colonial regime. Well, you're mentioning uh, apartheid and, and settler colonialism, but Israel's smearing of Palestinian society groups is decades old, but with Israel's apartheid designation and increased awareness of its ongoing ethnic cleansing of Palestinians and, and Palestinian villages, has this caused it to double down and muzzle resistance definitively? I mean, I mean, do you think this is a knee-jerk reaction because now the spotlight is on Israel's apartheid practices that now they are accelerating their attacks on, Palest on Palestinian civil society, which basically highlights these violations? Actually, yes. I think I mentioned before one of the reasons is that Israel wants to evade accountability and so it is attacking Palestinian civil society because of the work that is being done at the International Criminal Court. The other layer, which is also relevant to the apartheid discourse we're pushing and actions to end apartheid, is also a reason of why Israel is attacking us. And in fact, if we look at the legal definition of apartheid in the apartheid convention, one of the elements uh, that define what is apartheid is first like um, attacking and um, attacking people or persons or organizations because they oppose apartheid. So this is within the definition of the legal uh, definition of apartheid, which Israel has been applying against civil society organization. And it falls also within the broader regime that Israel not only is attacking Palestinian civil society because they are saying Israel is committing the crime of apartheid, but actually is attacking any person who is challenging, opposing, or uh, resisting its apartheid regime, whether in the forms of uh, killings, whether in the forms of arbitrary detention, torture, collective punishment, and smearing and attacking Palestinian civil society is just another tool that Israel uses to basically maintain its apartheid regime. Do you think this is uh, backfiring on Israel? I mean, after they've done that... Uh... You are in the news. Uh, 
I have to say, in Western news and, and, and definitely in the United States, which tends to, which uh, major news networks tend to ignore what's going on in Palestine. So with this action, do you feel that's backfiring and, and, and maybe bringing more people to your aid or, 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 your, or let, um, creating more awareness about your concerns? I think there's two layers for what this move from Israel has done. There's uh, what we has uh, what we have received from grassroots civil society uh, uh, at this level, and there's at uh, the state level or the um, government level. So from the grassroots civil society, it was a backfire because we have since the designation since October. We um, reinforced and strengthened our alliances with, which was existing since a long time. But we are working more even with our partners and supporters and civil society around the globe, uh, who are basically asking Palestinian civil society, including the six, how can we support? Uh, and this is really a good uh, um, reinforcer for Palestinian voices and for the struggle of the Palestinian people uh, in general. Um, on the other hand, I think um, at governmental level or from states, also I think this was a backfire in terms of Israel was expecting that uh, the the states would basically be intimidated by saying um, uh, these are terrorist groups, so you're not allowed to fund them or support them, and they received the the um, the opposite answer from states. Um, so this is good in terms of uh, what states are saying, but as I said before, um, we have not seen concrete measures um, and effective measures to basically support these uh, statements of support. Uh, which has been lacking for the past year. And I'm not sure if this will happen from states, but we're still doing our advocacy to basically ensure that states to take and implement actions to back up um, their support. A joint probe uh, by Forensic Architecture and your organization, Al-Haq, uncovered evidence that an Israeli sniper repeatedly shot at Palestinian journalist Shirin Abu Akli. Uh, can you elaborate on, on, on this investigation and in, on, on your own findings? For sure. Um, thank you for bringing this example. And actually, before you ask how are we working since the raid, it's we're doing our investigations, we're doing our documentation, we're doing our advocacy. So this is part of the um, ongoing work Al-Haq has been doing after the raid. Um, and actually, it has been going on for a long time that we were collaborating for investigating the uh, killing of Shirin Abu Akhle last May uh, with uh, forensic architecture uh, who are based in the UK. So with um, our unit, uh, our new unit, the uh, forensic architecture unit, uh, what they, what, what the two, what the, the, the unit and forensic architecture has been doing is basically trying to reconstruct, uh, the scene of the killing, uh, from last May through, uh, digital modeling and, uh, and, and advanced architecture tools to basically, uh, see what really happened throughout the day. So we launched this video that is, uh, that can be found on our website and on, um, forensic architecture website. Uh, but the main finding is basically that we, through the videos and the analysis of the videos and, um, and audio and the digital modeling, we found that 
um, first of all, the IOF or the Israeli occupying forces deliberately uh, targeted uh, Shirin and her colleagues because they were clearly uh, wearing their um, press uh, vests. Um, second of all, there were three waves of uh, bullets uh, fired at the group of journalists. Uh, the first wave deliberately targeted uh, Shirin's colleague uh, Ali uh, Samoudi. And um, the second wave actually uh, hit and killed uh, Shirin Abu Aqla. And then there was a third wave even after uh, the killing of Shirin, uh, which didn't hit any of the journalists or the civilians. Uh, but it shows that Israel was deliberately targeting this group. The other finding is that there were absolutely, from the videos and the analysis and everything, there was absolutely no other person present between these shootings other than the group of the Israeli soldiers and the group of the um, uh, journalists. Um, and so this uh, basically proves that Israel's uh, so-called investigation that there were at that moment Palestinian exchange of fire between Palestinians and um, Israeli is, is inaccurate. Uh, so there were no other person and there were um, no shots were being fired uh, except from the Israeli sniper position. Um, also, we, uh, we, we, the investigation shows that the fire that was uh, retrieved from the skull of uh, Ms. Shirin's uh, uh, body is actually uh, used, commonly used by the Israeli occupying forces. Um, so there are many layers for this investigation that could be found um, online, but we basically, within the legal analysis that we provided to this uh, video analysis, is that this constitutes what is Israeli occupying forces, um, a war crime and a crime against humanity, a war crime of uh, willful killing uh, and a crime against humanity of um, actually uh, murder. Uh, and of course, this requires investigation by the International Criminal Court. So this investigation has actually been uh, delivered to the International Criminal Court by the lawyers of, uh, of Shirin's family and by um, a group of organizations, including Al-Haq, as a proof, an additional proof uh, to uh, this crime. And this is exactly the type of work that you do that uh, Israel wants to shut down and 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 muzzle uh um asil al-bajjah uh, thank you for coming on arab talk thank you very much that's the face and the voice of asil al-bajjah she's the legal researcher and advocacy officer at al-haq human rights organization talking about uh, the recent raids of six palestinian human rights organizations but you're right you know more importantly the the results of the forensic architecture uh analysis done in the UK which was really very stunning Jamal this kind of just completely contradicts and flies in the face of the apartheid regime Israel's claims that she was somehow in the caught in the crossfire or they couldn't unequivocally you know conclude that uh they they killed her this is really a damning report that seems, you know, to unequivocally talk about how Shireen was targeted, not just once, but multiple times and murdered by the Israeli military. Well, the main question, Jess, what's uh, Anthony Blinken is going to do about it? What uh, 
President Biden is going to do about the deliberate murder of a, an American citizen? That's the main question. Right. And of course, we know that they're not going to do anything about this American citizen, even though they're doing their best to get American citizens freed and protected in other regions. It's just that Shireen happens to be Palestinian and a Palestinian-American. And uh, Blinken and uh, Biden will not do anything, uh, in my opinion, uh, to uh, right this wrong of this American citizen being brutally murdered by the by their so-called ally, the Israeli military. It's I really encourage our listeners and our readers to check out this report by the UK's forensic uh, uh, architecture uh, firm. It's really very impressive. Well, we're going to keep insisting on a major investigation and, and taking some action. And, and, and we should mention just that Senator Leahy, who is the architect of the Leahy law, right. is demanding that because under the Leahy law, if you use weapons uh, gotten from the United States to violate human rights, in, in this case, murder a, a civilian or murder a journalist, then you shouldn't be receiving these weapons. Yes, of course. And that Leahy law, by the way, has been used on multiple occasions against other countries. But uh, I think it's a very apt question in this larger political context of uh you know this uh, this this report, which is you know scientific, reliable, valid, compelling. Um, you know uh, it's unlikely that Biden or Blinken will invoke the Leahy Act. I I, I do want to comment as long as we're on the United Nations speeches, Jamal. Of course, Yair Lapid's speech was disgusting. You know, of course it was, but as, as a prelude to talking a little bit about that, I think it's important to put in the context something that President Biden said, as long as you're talking about President Biden. He said, no country should take another country's land by force. He gets up there (laughs) and (laughs) he's lecturing the United Nations on this topic that no country should take by force another people's land. I should add to this also, he said that the United States would not recognize any ter- territory annexed by Russia in Ukraine. Uh-oh. Oops. Well, President Biden, I have breaking news for you. The apartheid state forcefully took the land of Palestine many decades ago and has annexed Palestinian and Syrian land on multiple occasions. So my question for you, President Biden, really? You're going to say that in front of 190 uh, member states of the United Nations to the entire world, you had the audacity to say something like that with, with right before your eyes and under your nose, you have one of your so-called allies annexing and stealing land of another people by force. So back, anyways. Back, back to the speech. Yeah, the uh, disgusting Pri- speech. Pri- Prime Minister Air Lapid dubbed as the moderate <laughs> or the moderate alternative to Bibi Netanyahu far-right coalition. And he spoke just, his speech, as you you stated earlier, is full of lies. I mean, I mean one, after, lies. one after the other, not one lie. I mean, the difference between him and Bibi Netanyahu who lied, uh, you know, and he was more... Uh, 
cartoonish, I would say, in his show and tell and whatever. His speech was basically made and tailored for foreign audience. You know, uh, he offered claims to support the two-state solution. And 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 uh, this is a proposal that no Israeli politician, including Lapid himself, right, actually supports. I mean, if you if you listen to him before he became prime minister, you right. listen to him when he became prime minister, talking in Israeli media, this whole idea of the two-state solution is non-existent. In fact, right. he always says things that are totally contrary to establishing a two-state solution. And he's he has ruled it out, including, you know, be it Lapid or or Naftali, Naftali Bennett, they don't advocate for the dead, as you said, dead two-state solution. But here they had the opportunity to lie in front of the international community, and he stood in front of the international con- community, pandering to a, a foreign audience, he changed his tunes. All of a sudden now he wants to revive the two-state solution. After and it's dead. After, after it's, it's dead, dead he and wants to revive know, it. We know, actually, this is more dangerous. It's actually better if he stood out there and, and, and said, no, we're done with the two-state solution, as he has been saying, by the way. Because you know that this is a, uh, a delay tactic uh, that Israel plays right. when, when it's in trouble right. because now the international community he, he, where he was standing in front, represented by the United Nations, has uh, labeled his country as an apartheid state. Exactly, Jamal. Not to mention Human Rights Watch and, and Amnesty International and his own human rights organization, Beth Salem. So that's a deflection to come back now because you don't want to like talk about Israeli human rights violations. You don't want to want to talk about Israel shutting down uh, Palestinian civil society. You don't want to talk about uh, Israel murdering a journalist, a Palestinian American journalist. So let's talk about what else? The two-state solution, Jess. Well, well, the 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 kind of painful irony is that he's talking about a solution that is not only dead, Jamal, the two-state solution is dead, but he had the audacity to refer to Palestinians as neighbors. So, uh, I I mean... Our partners in life. Our partners in life. So when, when, talk about a Hasbara kind of twist on occupation, oppression, and apartheid, it would be he had the audacity to refer to Palestinians with whom, you know, he is occupying, whom he is destroying land, stealing land, and killing people on a regular basis as neighbors. And the insult that that had to Palestinians and to people of conscience and to people with like, you know, who who are just in reality, because anybody who's in reality who heard Lapid's speech would not only feel insulted, but would justifiably, as Palestinians have, felt enraged that he was given this forum to lie, to dissemble, and to kind of create this crazy narrative. And I think you're actually right, Jamal. I think it's a very important point for our listeners and our viewers. It's like, it's actually more dangerous for him to spread this two-state lie. It really is, because it's cover for all the other atrocities that the Israeli military 
uh, and their government are committing on a regular basis, daily yes. basis. It's, it's, it's a cover. It's a total deflection. And let's go back to the, our partners in, in, in life. Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, uh, under, under uh, you know, his government, and I say they because the coalition before that, uh, well, even going back, going to Netanyahu and Bennett and so on, uh, you know, uh, you have all these fascists running in the streets of Jerusalem, chanting death to Arabs, attacking them, uh, you know, and in, in fact, Israelis, and sadly, uh, don't see Palestinians as partners in life. They, or they humans, see them, or they human see beings. They as uh, underclass, barely tolerated. Even the, I'm talking about Palestinians with Israeli citizenship. The other thing, the other lie that he said, uh, just that I want to point out is that he's talking about that billions of dollars are invested in smearing Israel, and basically he was accusing uh, the BDS movement. I mean, this is laughable. If anyone knows billions, he he didn't talk about millions. He talked about billions of dollars. Oh, it's a complete that, lie, Jamal. All of a sudden now. Israel is the underdog. Israel, Israel that receives billions of dollars uh, from the United States and uses, I'm not going to say billions, but hundreds of millions of dollars on countering uh, the BDS movement. Now he wants to turn the table and say billions of dollars are wasted. Like Palestinians are wasting billions of do dollars smearing Israel rather than negotiating about peace. But here's the thing, Jamal. I, I have breaking news for Prime Minister Lapid. Palestinians and people of conscience, people of justice all over the world, we don't need to spend billions of dollars because the apartheid state speaks for itself. Its oppressive tactics speak for itself. We don't have to spend the billions. It speaks loud and clear. So his comment that they're spending billions of dollars is not only a lie and laughable it's it's a joke because you know the 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 painful reality is there every day for everybody to see it's a joke i want to add to this just he's the one who is smearing palestinians and, and smearing with this what he intended to say if if palestinians I don't know. I haven't seen the billions. Do we have billions of dollars? <laughs> it's like, like <laughs> you know, a, a society under occupation with billions of dollars, right? Nice. Meaning it's uh, paying off Human Rights Watch, Amnesty International, the United Nations, and others to publish these reports. You see, that's right. what he's saying. The billions of dollars being spent by the Palestinians, it's basically that's what he's saying. We're spending it to publish these reports to incriminate Israel as an apartheid state. Yeah, it's 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 not only laughable, it's like, you know, it's it's a it's just a painful joke. It really is. Then the other distraction, of course, goes to what? Iran. Back again. Of course. Iran, Iran, Iran. Of nuclear, course. Of course. Uh, Hezbollah. And 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 he generalizes. He he just wants the world to think that everyone is like thinks like all or all Muslims think like Iran or all Palestinians think like Iran or what have you. Regardless that, of course, of the facts that Israel is the only nuclear power in the Middle East or the, or the only country with 
nuclear weapons in, in, in the Middle East, and Iran wants to destroy Israel. If has to mention, by the way, there is a, a massive, uh, I mean, a sizable Jewish community in Iran with participation in the government. That's he, right. He, he doesn't mention that. And uh, we know that the nuclear warheads are in, 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 in Israel, not in Iran, as far as the latest information. That's back again, that whole, the whole deflection and, and vilification for the wrong reasons. And again, trying to drag the United States into another war in the Middle East, as if that is what we need with what's going on in Russia, what's going on with you in Russia and Ukraine, that now we want to scrap that nuclear agreement right? and, he, and, and go into confrontation. I mean, and who's going to be paying for that, Jess? Well, the whole world. And by the way, uh, Jamal, just, just to be clear, he threatened Iran. He basically threatened Iran saying that the apartheid regime, that the Israelis have ways in which to confront you know uh the the Iranian Republic in 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 ways so he he's threatening he's bellicose he's the you know he's the Hasbara face of the Netanyahu speech I mean it's a Netanyahu speech isn't it Jamal just packaged a little differently more 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 because he he tried to hit you on different fronts like uh, you know like uh, I, I'm actually was going to speak about that last, but I'll say about it like, oh, he personalizes it, and 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 he talks about that he has a child with special needs, and her name is Yaeli, and she's autistic, and and that uh, she wakes up terrified at three o'clock in the morning because of uh, to go to the bomb shelter because of uh, Palestinians shooting rockets from Gaza, you know. He doesn't talk about the thousands of Palestinian children who are terrified every night in in Gaza, and the, the hundreds that have died have been killed by by Israeli bombings. So that's why he's he's a better actor. Uh, I, I'm not underestimating him. He's a better actor than the Netanyahu. Netanyahu. Maybe Netanyahu yes. speaks English like an American, and he can put you know and show and tell. But he was a better actor trying to win sympathies and saying, you know, our friends, our neighbors, our partners in life, we want the two-state solution. I don't want to be afraid for my own child. You know, basically, he's reversing the, you know, the table that he's saying that they are the victims. Then he talks about another lie, talks about Gaza and, and how Israel withdrew from Gaza, and look what happened. We withdrew, we took the decision to withdraw. He doesn't talk about, actually, this was a strategic decision by Ariel Sharon because he could not just keep spending money to protect the few thousand uh, colonial settlers in Gaza. Right. And Gaza that is so overpopulated, there was not enough land for Israel to steal from Gaza, unlike, unlike the West Bank. And then he acts like this was like a humanitarian decision that this, the, the Israel undertook. Oh, and by the way, they left their uh, nurseries and they left their, you know, hot house. Hot house. These were built by by, by European donors, by European donors, yes, right. and by Palestinians. So, right. so lie after like you have to listen to his speech two and three times to get to get all the lies. 
just to keep up with his his lies. Well, well, I expected we don't have time to talk about it today. I expected a more full-throated response from the Palestinian Authority. Uh, it was a very weak response. I think we 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 don't have time to get into it today. Maybe next maybe next week. But uh, the 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 other tragedy to these this him having yeah you're having a platform to dis you know just to lie through his teeth is that the response was really lacking. There was no real full-throated, forthright response to his, uh, you know, his his tremendous lying on this. It's really unfortunate. But that we'll save that for another time. You're listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco, 89.5 FM. Uh, we have a uh, few minutes to talk about these protests that... Uh, are ongoing in in Iran and also actually uh, internationally just for our uh, viewers and listeners and the protests have intensified this week over the death of 22-year-old Masa Amini uh, in police custody after she was arrested for allegedly wearing her headscarf, headscarf or hijab too loosely. And uh, uh, Ms. Amini died uh, September 16th, uh, three days after her arrest in Tehran. And of course, many Iranians now who are demonstrating, they are saying that she was called, killed by law enforcement. And um, this is something really, I'd say, horrific. It's... it's inexcusable. Uh, other other things that have been raised, because of course she was arrested by the Tehran. Um, I call it uh, morality, morality police. She's also of Kurdish descent, right? So she's Iranian Kurdish. So so also now people um, Kur- in Kurdistan, other places, they're alleging that she was killed because she was also Kurdish, not only because she was a woman and wearing her hijab loosely. And uh, I, I feel it's not something that has gone too far. It should not have happened. And um, the Iranians are making a major mis- You know, the Iranian government. Major mistake. Major mistake by keep insisting and enforcing this uh, hijab law on, on women when uh, um, they're trying to kind of open open up to the rest of the world, uh, they're still running these draconian laws. And, well, and the easy answer to them is to to end this and say people can, or women can wear whatever they want to wear when you may Well, be... that would be easy. That would be easy, Jamal, because uh, I, I do think it's a complex issue for sure. Don't get me wrong, because... Um, of course, the West is is going to use this to to bludgeon and do that narrative. How dare, you know? How is it that these countries are forcing these women? And unfortunately, the Iranian kind of regime plays into that narrative because it's one of the few countries that forces women to wear hijab. Most Muslim countries do not force women to wear the hijab. Most Muslim countries, as we know, it's you know, it's it's a choice thing. People do it. Uh, because of uh, personal choice, one way or the other. But uh, the Iranian regime, uh, there, you know, so many decades after the revolution, has, you know, they're playing this wrong. I mean, the fact is, you know, 60% or more of Iranians are under the age of 20 right now. 
They have access to the internet. They want change. They need change. They they want to come into the world of ideas. And, you know, hanging their hat on forcing women to wear hijab is only going to backfire. Having said that, I also am always irritated to hear the same old tired story about why do why are we forcing why are these people forcing women to do x y and z i mean it's what are you going to do jamal but well well the simple th- thing about it, of course i think women should be able to wear whatever they they want to wear and do whatever they want to do we have also bigger issues right here in in this country like abortion laws which affect actually uh, 100% women reproductive uh, decision making and uh, we have a supreme court that uh, negated uh, women's uh, rights women's rights over and, their bodies and, and then i i see these so called liberals and not not actually liberals all of a sudden whenever something happens in iran or afghanistan they're screaming their lungs out oh what about women rights in iran what about women rights in in afghanistan what about women rights in this country jess and then the other thing just and we'll talk about this next week about what rashida tlaib said that if uh, you want to be claim to be a liberal but then you support apartheid what about the death of and a Palestinian American journalist a female a woman by Israeli occupation soldiers i haven't seen them screaming their lungs out i haven't seen no. them dem- demonstrating in the streets that's exactly right jamal well i'm sure we're going to cover it it's the classic double standard uh you know i think most people would say that protecting a woman's right to to choose what to do with their bodies outstrips any kind of harassment around what they're wearing but it's, a, it's an important issue, and I'm sure we're going to cover it uh, as as the weeks go on. You've been listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. Go to our website, arabtalkradio.com, to download the latest shows. We'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>